Jeannie Flavelle's Hot Commodity Podcast Series. Empowering clients with commercial intelligence, supply chain expertise, and risk management solutions. Good afternoon, everybody. My name is Nicole Thomas, Vice President of Information Services here at McKinney Flavelle. Today is October 12th, 2022, and welcome to our Hot Commodity Podcast. Uh, Michael flaked on us again, as did Kevin, and it's not even a Friday podcast. So you're stuck with the Grim Reaper of Commodity Markets, me, Nicole, (laughs) as your MC today. And as you hear him chuckling, I have my tried and true counterpart, Eric Thornton, commodity specialist and wheat market extraordinaire here with me today. Hey, Eric. Hey, Nicole. Quite the intro. And boy, yeah, Grim Reaper of Markets. We've certainly uh, been living (laughs) up to the Halloween theme. Um, Seems like for quite a while, more than just this month. More than just this month. It's Halloween all year round over (laughs) here, buddy. This is what we do. Scary movies, scary markets. Who better to present on this than uh, you and I? You're becoming that too, buddy. I certainly am. Yeah, wheat's uh, <laughs> certainly becoming quite spooky out there. So um, I think we're going to have some good updates today. And uh, I think want to kick it off with wheat first. Yeah, well, today, of course, is everybody's favorite day of the month, Wazdi Day. And this isn't a video podcast. Otherwise, you'd see I'm in my sarcasm is my love language hoodie. <laughs> and you'd know that I use the term favorite extremely sarcastically but you alluded to it eric let's start let's start with wheat change it up a little bit this week since it's just you and i we can do that we can do that yeah perfect well let's uh let's get right into it and i guess headliner first kind of soaking of this wasdi report maybe not as grim as expected or maybe not as spooky as maybe the market could have seen because Mm -hmm. as we talked about at the September 30th grain stocks and small grain summary, we got some pretty bullish surprises to production, which saw that uh, we lost 1.3 million acres of planted uh, wheat acres and 2 million acres of harvested wheat acres. So we knew coming into today's YZ, we'd be seeing 133 million Bushel cut to production, basically right on par with last year. Another very subpar year for wheat. Mm. And now the big question was going to be, okay, well, what types of changes may we see to demand? And thus how that filters down through ending stocks, stocks to use. And like I said, maybe not as bad because ending stocks fell from 610 million bushels down to 576 million bushels. So we actually... Picked up 10 million bushels additionally to supply via imports. Okay. Most of that, well, all of that really coming by way of Canada, having a really good spring wheat crop up there, really good Durham crop. So we'll probably, you know, likely to see a little bit more in the way of exports across the border in the north. And we saw some pretty good cuts to demand. And I've been pretty Mm. consistent for uh, many weeks, if not months now, that the USDA's export target for wheat was too high. And with the sales we were seeing week to week, you know, 5% below the 825 million bushel target, we were likely to see, you know, that come lower and lower they did. They lowered it by 50 million bushels all the way down to 775 million Mm -hmm. bushels, which if that hits and we may, you know, see even further reductions to that if the dollar stays as strong as it is and wheat prices stay as high as they are you know the u.s wheat 
uh, from an FOB standpoint, still one of the most uncompetitive in the global wheat arena for exports. But if that does stay true and we hit 775, it'd be the lowest exports we've seen in 50 years. Wow. So quite um, wow. extraordinary when you talk about numbers that low in terms of uh, you know the history of wheat. But in addition to the 50 million bushel cut there, we also saw 30 million bushel cut to feed demand coming all the way down to 50 million bushels now. And I still think, you know, while this is a fair target to track towards from the USDA standpoint, I will just caution and say we have, you know, quite a bit to work through in the way of maybe changing that category, especially during the winter months when we mm. see those feed rations increase, especially the, I'll say, opportunity for wheat for feed rations to increase, especially in the Southern Plains region where a lot of the hard red winter wheat stocks are. The only counter to that, you know, argument of let's just watch to see if the 50 million actually hits or maybe it goes a little bit higher in the winter is we are dealing with some pretty tight stocks of hard red winter wheat. And we're also, again, dealing with struggles in that region for plantings and the drought um, that has just been persisting all year. So I think it's, again, fair to see that uh, 50 million bushels is the, is the target going into the winter months. You know, considering the price dynamics as well with uh, wheat feed versus that of corn feed, corn gluten meal, soybean meal, it makes sense. Mm -hmm. But I just caution to uh, say, let's watch that, um, you know, the next two quarters in particular. So again, all in all, stocks dropped 34 million bushels, but, um, you know, stocks to use, once you kind of factor in the current position versus demand, we, we only fell uh, about a half a percent mm. from stocks to use versus uh the September wise, he's sitting at just uh, below 31% stocks to use. So still very bullish, still supportive of price. Um, but, you know, really the reaction we saw post report here and so far, you know, just 15 minutes before close as we're recording this year, you know, wheat price is actually coming off a little bit, kind of taking mm -hmm. a little bit of a breather, especially after Monday's, you know, propel higher. Yeah, with all the uh, news over the weekend of um, what's going on in Ukraine and Russia. So I th we're basically back now on par, just a little bit higher with where we closed um, Friday last week. And I think, you know, today's numbers, um, and I'll get into the global balance sheet really quick after this comment, but the, the numbers today, I think, are really going to be offering wheat a chance to uh, take a little bit of a breather, just mm -hmm. kind of soak this in. But um, really, very much uh, the focus in terms of price direction uh, is going to be, first and foremost, the war. Uh, what's going right. on over there? Will that export corridor stay open? Will it close? What's Putin going to do? What's he going to say? Uh, that's going to be the dominant story, as well as, again, the continued struggles we've seen thus far in the Southern Plains with the drought that just doesn't seem to be relenting anytime soon. You know, some moisture chances have been creeping back in mostly in Texas, but um, we're just going to be basically trading off of weather and how the winter wheat crop's going to be progressing through the dormancy window over the next two quarters. So, you know, really the fundamentals um, at this juncture, especially with the big demand changes today, probably going to be very limited for the next two or three quarters here until we get some, you know, another round of supply. And, and like I said, lastly, I'll just comment on the global balance sheet, there really isn't a whole lot to take away from there. You know, it's the third consecutive month now with uh, relatively 
sideways picture when it comes to evaluating ending stocks. So we fell just marginally by 1 million metric tons when it comes to total wheat stocks. We're now down from 268 to 267 million metric tons. And, you know, again, no real big changes, a small uh, decrease to production offset by a small decrease to demand. And um, the one call out I'll say is the USDA did hold flat Russian wheat production at 91 million metric tons, but I, I still believe that uh, that figure has some upside room mm. to move, um, you know, with some reports well into the mid 90s, upper 90s, and even some, you know, flirting with 100 million metric tons. So I think, again, that crop for Russia could grow larger, um, which is going to be interesting as that relates to how the war plays out and Russia sitting right. on the largest wheat reserves in the, the world, you know, certainly going to be some interesting geopolitical dynamics there. So that's really what I have on uh, on wheat, Nicole. Amazing. Um, you know, amazing. All that wheat production in Russia. Just lots is, of wheat. Yeah. They've got so much wheat there. I just... It's not like they have a neighbor that's also really good at yeah, I mean, wheat, right? Uh, we better hush. We might fall down some stairs or something. We'll leave that, we'll leave that alone for now. <laughs> better we do that and talk about corn and, and soy. What happened there? Yeah. Well, you know what? I, I think corn was reasonably quiet, too, mostly because things fell within expectations and to your point you know the september report the grain stocks report was really the uh cage rattler so to speak but uh as far as corn was concerned in the domestic market uh usda did lower that yield a bit 171.9 bushels per acre uh which i don't think you know was too surprising a lot of analyst expectations that we would be inching closer to 170 uh bushels per acre anyway so not seeing too much of an impact there. Uh, they did adjust demand for 22, 23 as well. We can talk a little bit more about that in a moment. But even with that much lower carry-in on, on ending stocks, that uh, reduction in demand helped to uh, make that a little less impactful. So as it stands now, we're looking at about uh, one point, almost 1.2 billion bushels, down a little bit from, from the last report. And that would be about a 15% decline versus uh, the year prior. So definitely not looking at a stocks building year, at least at this stage. And interestingly, I think this was, you know, if nothing else, kind of confirmation of, of something we've talked about quite a bit. And, and particularly after the surprise with the, the uh, stocks report at the end of September, uh, we finally got to see where the other piece of that came from. We knew there was some uh, lost production, but we also knew there was something going on with demand that, that we hadn't seen yet. And sure enough, it was the feed category pegged at 5.715 billion bushels. Mm. Phenomenally large and interesting considering this, you know, for the 21-22 year, we battled with avian flu. Mm -hmm. We've battled with inflation etc. Uh, but we still came in with a really strong category of use there that put us up, I think it was about 2% versus the year before, which was also pretty strong in 2021. Uh, we saw a lot of demand there. And they more or less left uh, ethanol and export demand unchanged. And, you know, we, we've been tracking that pretty closely. So uh, that that fell in line. Now, interestingly, I would also say that's the category to watch for 22-23. 
that mm-hmm. feed category. Unfortunately, it is the, as we saw here, it is the hardest category to get a firm handle on until well after the fact. But if there's a category that I think could ultimately succumb to uh, some uh, impact from inflation and it's likewise impact on consumption, that's probably going to be the one. You're, <laughs> anyone listening to this podcast has surely seen both poultry availability and poultry product pricing at the grocery store. It's been pretty mm-hmm. uh, unnerving at times. And then combined with that, we are we are hearing a lot about cases of avian flu already. You know, and this is, you know, kind of a early start, so to speak, to that to that flu season. But the most recent news uh, were uh, some confirmed cases uh, actually with a broiler flock, about 56,000 birds in Arkansas, which is kind of, I guess, alarming, too, in thinking that, you know, last year, most of that was more or less contained in the upper Midwest. Uh, mostly impacting egg laying operations. But this year, it looks like it could be a little more widespread because we have been hearing about those cases that are impacting the layers uh, and turkey flocks uh, as far north as Canada. Uh, But as far as I I know, this is one of the first major ones we've seen uh, within a broiler uh, population this, you know, coming into the winter anyway. So, you know, I'm always depressing people if I'm looking for something <laughs> that may actually work in, in the favor of a corn buyer. That might be it. The other category to watch too is exports. You mentioned it with wheat. I think the same uh, dynamics, especially with the price strength apply for corn mm-hmm. and compounding that we've got really low river levels uh, on the Mississippi. And it is significantly hindering barge movement. They had to do some dredging over the weekend for uh, a couple of portions of the of the river, including uh, just just south of Memphis. They've already been lowering the weight of those barges to to try to you know prevent any issues there as well. And to your point, Eric, it's supposed to remain you know, reasonably dry. You're getting a little bit of mm-hmm. moisture, but not enough. So, you know, the folks that watch those things are saying they think that the worst is, is yet to come. So in that sense, it's going to make, you know, keep the basis values very elevated at the Gulf. Your other alternative, as far as exports is concerned, is the PNW. And it'll be interesting to see how this plays out with basis values in the interior. Uh, and when I say that, I'm talking about producer values. Right. Uh, Total users, we can have a different conversation. But anyway, um, so that was that was more or less the the setup for the domestic market. Globally, uh, of course, with with some of the changes in 21, 22, we saw a hit to ending stocks globally. And then 22, 23, uh, because of that lower carry in, a hit to the balance sheets as well. At least as it stands today, ending stocks for 22, 23 looks to be just slightly above 301 million metric tons, which would be down from 2122 at 307. Uh, and also keep in mind that global ending stocks value assumes a 10 million metric ton increase in corn production in Brazil and a three and a half million ton uh, increase to corn production in Argentina. So uh, that's to say that that number is is far from firm, uh, especially considering we're in the midst of a La Nina. Uh, our, Brazil doesn't look to be as bad off right now. Argentina's pretty dry, so mm-hmm. those are uh, you know 
uh, one thing to keep in mind uh, as far as that's concerned. And then if there's, you know, uh, sort of a resilience story to be said, Ukrainian production, you know, actually when it was all said and done. It looks like it was, it's only going to be down by about 25%, which I think is pretty amazing considering, you know, how things uh, looked at back in, in February, March, April, uh, and not knowing if they were going to be able to get that planet. So, uh, we'll see how all that plays out. But as far as corn is concerned, I think the moral of the story is there's a lack of room in the balance sheets. We did get pressure on prices today. Shortly after the report, we were down eight to 10 cents uh, a bushel, depending on the contract month. But uh, without, you know, some additional pressure on consumption, because we, we've got, like I said, we don't have a lot of, <laughs> we don't have a lot of room and we're already showing pretty low numbers for consumption in the U.S. and globally. We we could still be facing, you know, another year of, of pretty bullish dynamics playing into the futures market. Uh, maybe for the next month or so or so, we have a, a range of, you know, maybe uh, 680-ish on the low end. But moving towards, you know, uh, I would say things more likely to trend higher uh, with maybe the top of that short-term range somewhere around 740, 750-ish. But looking at the longer-term picture, and considering there's still a lot of risk out there, we could very, very comfortably hang out in the seven sevens per bushel and a plausible approach to $8 a bushel before things settle mm. down. And, and that a lot of that's going to come down to South America. So that's the scenario for corn. For soybeans, that was an active day higher for, for the, the soybean market. Uh, and I think, you know, some of that is just kind of concern in that demand seems to be resilient in some categories. And they did lower the yield. I think that's what really caught the market uh, off guard. Or so much of the attention has been on corn that soybeans is, has kind of been the, uh, the stepchild, so to speak, as far as uh, attention is concerned. Uh, but that soybean yield for 22-23 was lowered to 498 bushels per acre. So it pretty much wiped out that minor gain we were we were looking forward to in the carry-in via last month's uh, grain stocks report. All in all, it left ending stocks unchanged at 200 million bushels. And I think, you know, analysts as a whole were anticipating that to come up a little bit. And with a, a little less uh, consumption expectation in the export category, again, same story, uh, stocks to use got a, a minor improvement to about four and a half percent, but obviously that's still pretty bullish to price. Globally, ending stocks uh, for 21-22 looks like they settled at about a little over 92 million metric tons, up by more than two and a half million from last month's report, but down a little under uh, eight million tons from 2021. Now for 22-23. Stocks are projected to rebound, and we're, we're at least at this point anticipating that at 100, about 100.5 million metric tons, uh, a lot of that being boosted by higher Brazilian production. So again, relying on pretty good crops out of South America to keep the balance uh, sheets, uh, well, in the case of soybeans, looking uh, better. But also keep in mind uh, within the the, the 22-23 balance sheet, unlike corn, consumption for, for beans is, consum is projected to rise by more than 31 million tons or 6% versus 22-23. And because of that, 
even though we're looking at better stocks, that stocks to you scenario uh, puts us at about 18.3% versus 17.8% in 21-22. So I, I, I do see more acreage going towards beans in South America uh, as being very plausible uh, considering, you know, thinking about the impact of, of La Nina on corn uh, and higher input costs for corn, uh, certainly being supported to producers look leaning more towards beans. Uh, but we also got to we got to get them. And and that, you know, uh, need not remind folks a couple of years back, you know, what started as a really good looking year for uh, <laughs> for soybeans deteriorated month by month. So that's that's our scenario on the beans. Then as far as the uh, the oil is concerned, interesting, firming up those 21-22 numbers. We, we've been uh, pretty adamant about some understatement of food use, considering sort of the tightness we had on other oils in 21-22. And lo and behold, that category was increased by 140 million pounds for a year-over-year increase of 181 a uh, million pounds, which ultimately led to a reduction of our carry-in by a hundred million pounds for 2223. Mm. So the changes to the ending stocks for soybean oil uh, for 2223 were, were reasonably minimal, and our stocks to use is, is still hanging in, in there sub seven percent right now, right at about six point nine percent. Now the good news is in terms of the global vegetable oil balance sheet. Supply uh, is is projected to increase by about a million tons, but we're also again anticipating higher demand. Uh, so that is limiting the ending stocks increase to about thirty thousand metric tons year over year. So fundamentally, I guess you could kind of gauge these soybean oil futures averaging somewhere in the you know low to mid sixties, maybe the mid closer to the mid sixties for the year. But you need confirmation of a large South American crop to really get any sustained pressure to keep us in the in the in the fifties uh, or some some issue with uh, additional you know some pressure on that consumption piece. Of course, you know La Nina is going to be critical to the to the production and and us seeing some of these extremely high production uh, estimates uh, mm -hmm. or or projections at this point come to reality. And, and that, that'll be something for us to keep an eye on. And, and I'm sure the market will, you know, will add some volatility to prices as we get that kind of back and forth of, oh, there's rain. Oh, there's no rain. How dry is it? Where are the yields looking like? All that through, through the winter isn't going to give us much of a break. And then, of course, you know, the other thing not covered in this was the, but to your point too, uh, Eric, with, you know, these external factors, mm -hmm. crude oil and soybean oil are closely tied. I'm, yep. I'm, I'm not a, a specialist in the energy market by any stretch. Um, but, you know, I think any of us can see there's a lot of uncertainty uh, related to the ongoing war in Ukraine, OPEC and decisions they may make. Uh, and then ultimately what a global recession is going to do to consumption. So for now, I say err on the side of conservatism when it comes to the soybean oil futures and take those down days as an opportunity to just kind of chip away. Uh, at those coverage needs for the foreseeable future anyway. So that's our, our corn and soy. Yeah, nice recap. Want to do a Kevin impression for sugar? Yeah. <laughs> well, Nobody likes impressions. I won't do any impressions. Yeah, we're missing our <laughs> uh, fearless leader on sugar here with these uh, WASD recaps for sugar. But maybe, yeah, 
let's do a sugar uh, to close it out here, and I'll take a look at the 21-22 balance sheet. Pretty decent amount of changes, some I'd say expected. So we did see that the beet crop was reduced by uh, 24,000 tons. That's um, you know probably fair considering the late start to this year's beet crop, where usually you see you know harvest. Um, even pre-harvest beet piles kick off in, you know, early August, right, uh, right through kind of September before kind of the main harvest takes place in beet stockpiling. But that uh, crop now came under 5.1 million tons, now at 5.078 mm. million tons. But we did see a pretty sizable increase to cane sugar mm. uh, production out of Louisiana. So we saw that crop get significantly larger by 76,000 tons. Woo. And um, yeah, it looks to be now just under, well, 1.98 uh, million tons in production. So pretty good uh, cane crop there. Brings the total cane sugar production now above 4 million tons. And, wow. you know, we're seeing that filter through a little bit in the way of some revisions to imports as well, coming down 34,000 tons with Mexico taking the uh, biggest hit there, down 24,000 tons total. So uh, ending stocks did uh, increase marginally, and so did stocks-to-use ratio at 14%. So, you know, some minor changes there, but, um, you know, I think even as you may explain with changes to 22-23, you know, what that all means at the end of the day, pro probably not a whole lot. Um, not too as much. It, as it relates to the commercial market being that folks are well-covered, have been for some time, still limited, if any, sugar available for new crop. And, right. you know, even the changes you're going to get to, Nicole, for 22, 23, you know, probably not going to change that either. I certainly agree with that, sir. Because, I mean, we did. We saw a slight improvement to production for cane, slight reduction for beet, cane up about 27,000 uh, short tons raw value, and beet production down 13,000. Uh, short tons raw value. And, you know, at least from what we're hearing out there thus far, as you mentioned, Eric, uh, we we are late <laughs> in our harvesting activities, mm -hmm. a familiar tune across multiple crops in the U.S., but we're, we're getting there. Cane harvest seems to be progressing nicely in Louisiana. We're a bit behind in Florida. It's been a little too wet, so it's going to take them a little time to catch up. And it looks like harvest is underway pretty much uh, for most, if not all, the the beet production regions now. You know, it's been a little drier of late in the in the Red River Valley uh, uh, portion of the country, allowing for for some harvest progress there. And and it, it looks like the forecast is that they're uh, they're shifting towards winter uh, mm. with the cold air, which is great for beet piles. Yep. Uh, uh, here to stay at this point. Well, fingers crossed that that remains the case. Kind of a mixed bag in the west, uh, in the west and in the plains as far as weather is concerned, but they are progressing as well. Uh, and I think kind of the common takeaway thus far for for beet uh, harvesting is that you know they're seeing tonnages are down, but sugar content may be coming in a little higher. So we may see some additional adjustments to the beet production number down the road. All in all, total supply, so inclusive of everything for 22-23, now projected to hit 14.537 million short tons raw value. Uh, that's up 162,000 uh, over September, over the September forecast. 
and up about 72,000 uh, versus 21-22 supply. Now, we say that, but it's also worth knowing that the Mexican imports were kept unchanged in this report. But if we do get a little better production from the U.S. producers, we may see that adjusted down the road. And considering we've got, you know, some late arrivals of sugar from the 21-22 marketing year playing into, you know, that's pushing into the 22-23 year, uh, along with the, the um, prospect of, of some additional production adjustments here domestically, we're probably, you know, I wouldn't get too excited about that 14.8% stocks to use ratio. Mm-hmm. <laughs> More than likely, very soon here, we're going to be moving closer to that 13.5%. And as it stands now, again, 22.23 carry out projected at 1.872 million short tons raw value. That's up about 162,000 from the September estimate and 100,000 uh, from 21.22. But again, we will see, you know, additional revisions down the road and they didn't touch demand. And, and I think a lot of folks are wondering how that's going to play out again, everyone looking at, you know, what the impact of inflation and, and or recession going to have on consumption and how that may vary in channels of consumption as well. If, you know, you see uh, much in the way of, the, of an impact at all, if, if it's just kind of shifting from, you know, maybe food service or, or quick service towards uh, retail and, and home consumption, you know, kind of similar to what we saw, you know, during the pandemic and, and after where, you know, consumption remained pretty strong. So we'll see what we get there. And as you alluded to, Eric, I, I tend to save the commercial commentary for our clients. But I'll say it's a quiet market right now with most folks well covered for 22, 23 year or all of calendar 23 for that matter. And if you find yourself still in need of doing so, then number one, you must not be one of our clients. Mm -hmm. And number two, (laughs) prepare to pay up because you're going to be looking at somewhere probably around a 40% year over year price increase. Uh, just based on some of the numbers we're, we're seeing in here and out there. So yes, that's my little shameless sales pitch before we go is to say, yes, you know, price inflation is price inflation. And in the type of market we're in, you're going to get that. But perhaps that price increase with the right timing via guidance from the fine folks at McKinney Flavel mm-hmm. may have been a little less. And then take that difference across your volume versus our reasonably priced and valuable service. And who knows? Maybe it's worth making that call to us. Beautiful. Yeah, it was a little salesy. Just a little salesy. Yeah, I think it made a lot of sense to me. <laughs> Where do I sign up? Right, exactly. Exactly. <laughs> that's the question to ask, Eric. That's that's the one to hit it on. So yeah, I, I think that that wraps it up uh for today. Thanks, Eric, for holding down the fort with me. We'll chide uh, Kevin and and Michael later, or maybe they just they'll hear this podcast and they'll get it that way. They'll be jealous. They'll be they'll, very. They'll jealous. be jealous. They're missing out. Exactly. Exactly. Well, speaking of client value, a uh, couple of reminders. First, for you fine folks uh, that are clients and users of the IQ platform, please be sure to check out our newest ongoing series of posts. That's the Commodity Insights Weekly post comes out uh, early in the week where you'll find commentary from our beloved analysts on a bevy of commodity and ingredient markets, uh, along with some urgency scales to kind of help you direct your attention in what's a a pretty cluttered market environment right now in 
and plus it fits really well with our therapy sessions. Oh, and for you folks interested in energy, we will be covering natural gas in the webinar next week. We've got two heavy hitters between Jeff Rosinski and Sean Bingham. Uh, they're going to cover uh, that topic uh, next Wednesday, 11 Pacific time to Eastern. That's a good one. I know we talk a lot about the food commodities, agricultural commodities, but uh, all of us should be interested in what's happening with natural gas. Otherwise, I'll be sitting in my living room with blankets all winter. So on that lovely note, that wraps up our weekly hot commodity podcast. Thank you again, Eric. Thank you, Nicole. Great job being MC. Thank you, sir. I've been around Mike too long. And I want to thank everyone for listening in. Uh, and as he would say, live with an attitude of gratitude. Until next time, take care. Bye-bye. That concludes this podcast episode. For expanded commentary and more detailed information, log on to McKinney Favelle's IQ Ingredient Intelligence platform and listen to our Market Insights podcast. If you're not a subscriber, visit bikini-favel.com for more information. And as always, follow us on YouTube, LinkedIn, Facebook, and Twitter.